I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Other thing that I will definitely tell all educators right now and from here on out is less is more. I am sick and tired of seeing homework that is 25 questions. Yes. Amen. Why are you giving students that much homework? And you're giving yourself that much work, right? Yeah. Yeah. If don't give anything out as homework that you're not ready to grade and turn around on the spot for every single one of Mm -hmm. your students with appropriate and timely feedback. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher Podcast. I'm Amber Harper, and the educators on this podcast are brave enough to share their stories of burnout with the world. On BIT, we get real, we get honest, and we take action. Action against the burnout with stories from burned out teachers, advice from experts, and actionable steps you can take today to beat the burnout and become a happier, more fulfilled human being. Let's get started. You know, during my 12-year teaching career, it seemed like there was always something throwing off my lesson plans, mindset, or goals. And when I began to burn out and tried to talk about it, all I heard was join the club, go for a walk, have a glass or three of wine. This is just the way it is. The current challenges you're facing, distance learning, new technologies, higher expectations, discipline issues, a personal crisis, a global pandemic, All of these challenges make your everyday life seem unmanageable. Until now. Teacher Burnout has been hacked and the book is here. In Hacking Teacher Burnout, I share my eight-step process that shines a light on burnout as an opportunity for growth and change. And in it, I empower you to become burned in. A fulfilled, happy, efficient, and effective teacher in the classroom and in life. You'll learn the steps you can take to take action steps based on your burnout type. Feel ready for the next challenge. Thrive, not just survive, personally and professionally. Feel ready for and learn how to grow through your burnout and so much more. Hacking Teacher Burnout is here and ready for you to order on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. So go check it out or go to hackingteacherburnout.com to learn more and place a bulk order for your staff. Take a deep breath because you're about ready to do something big for your burnout. Burn on. Well, hello there, Burned In Teachers. How you doing? Welcome to the Burned In Teacher podcast. My name is Amber and I am your host. And this is one part burnout and all other parts action, inspiration, and support for teachers dealing with burnout. This is episode 87, and I'm so excited to share with you my interview with Gabriel Carrillo. He's an educational technology specialist that lives in San Antonio, Texas. He's the creator and host of the EdTech Bytes podcast that is so incredibly entertaining and informative. And he's an EdTech presenter who has presented at various conferences and more than anything, loves cooking with and for his family. And you'll hear us talk about that a little bit here in this episode. Now, I asked Gabriel to come on to the show because I have heard a lot of you out there talking about how challenging it is to get your students engaged, as well as wondering how it is that you can grade 
from a distance, virtually or hybrid teaching, how it is that you can lighten your workload, not have so much to do. And Gabriel is a fellow Education Podcast Network podcaster. And when I put this question out to the network and said, hey, could anybody come on to my podcast and talk to me about ways that teachers can simplify using educational technology? Now, you know me. I love educational technology. However, unfortunately, I don't get to work with teachers on a daily basis in a school to see exactly what it is that can help them directly in a school setting while teaching remotely or in a hybrid. So I wanted to get somebody in here who has daily experience working with teachers and Gabriel delivered. So in this episode, he's going to share with us some strategies and tips and tools that you can use to engage your students as well as how you can make things more simple for yourself. As you heard in the soundbite, Gabriel believes that when we ask students to do a lot of work, we make a lot of work for ourselves and sometimes double the work, especially if we are assigning a lot of homework that students clearly don't understand. Now, what I love about this conversation is we don't just talk about educational technology and how to make things simpler with that technology for yourself and to engage your students. We also talk about his challenges with burnout how he can tell it's coming on, and what he does about it. You know, I love this part of our conversation so much because he has created for himself strategies and awareness around burnout, and he knows that he will get through it because he's empowered himself to believe that it's just a season and that when you have the right strategies, you can get through it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Gabriel Carrillo. Let's dive in. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us on the Burned and Teacher podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm excited to be here. Me too. So tell us a little bit about you, your teaching background, and what it is that you do. Absolutely. My name is Gabriel Carrillo. I'm an instructional technology specialist here in San Antonio, Texas. I serve in a very large district that has over 60,000 students, about 65, 66 campuses, including some virtual and magnet programs and things like that. And I currently support a middle school, two high schools, and within the middle school and the high school, they have several magnet programs within those campuses. So I do that. I'm a father of two, husband, and I also host a podcast, just like you do. Yeah, you do. It's so entertaining. I was listening to some episodes the other day and I just, I love your twist on the ed tech bites. I love, you have, you have very good uh, bite sound bites. <laughs> That's a lot of bites in one, one sentence. <laughs> That's a lot to chew, no pun intended. Right? <clears throat> so Gabriel, did you always want to be a teacher? I wanted to be a teacher. It's funny. I told, I told the story to my kids and my wife not too long ago, but I knew in second grade that I wanted to be a teacher. Really? So yes, I, I I could vividly recall. You know, it was a brisk spring morning. Now I <laughs> I was in the class. We were sitting on the carpet doing carpet time, whatever you want to call it. And the teacher, actually a male teacher, mm-hmm. my first male teacher, which was in second grade, asked the class, "How many of you would like to be a teacher?" And I was the only one who rose my hand. And kind of separated myself from the group and everyone wanted, you know, they wanted to be other things, this and that and the other. But I knew in second grade that I wanted to be a teacher. And as I got older, 
my reasons for becoming a teacher became more and more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And it was about high school, like the end of middle school, high school, when I realized that I wanted to be a teacher for reasons that I never thought or imagined I would want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I wanted to become a teacher so that students would not have some of the same teaching experiences that I had growing mm -hmm. up. And I was blessed to have a male teacher, a positive male role model in second grade. Not to say that I didn't have other male role models I had. I came from a, you know, a two-parent household, brothers and a sister. But I was, I was blessed in that sense. And not a lot of people are. You know, the mm -hmm. times have changed. A one-person household is, is not so taboo anymore or mm -hmm. not something that's uncommon. Mm -hmm. But... I wanted to make sure that students had more positive experiences, especially young Hispanic males that came from the background that I came from. Mm. I grew up in South San Diego, literally, I would say two, three miles from the, the Mexican border. And there were a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs, a lot of negative things. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the blessed ones who was able to make it out. And mm. I, I figured, you know, if, if I can do it, being surrounded by that, having that stuff in close family and, and just everywhere you looked as soon as you stepped out, then who's to say that other people can? And who's to say that other people cannot be, cannot be given the light or shown the light into something like education or and to be able to give back to their, to their respective communities and their respective uh, families and households? That's fantastic. That's a fantastic story to be able to relate to students the way that, that you can on that level. I think that's something that a lot of teachers can't do with the challenges that, that some of their students are going through. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, it, I, I moved, our family moved to Arizona back in 2005, mm -hmm. 2005. We did, that's when the market got crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I'll never forget my wife and I had just gotten married and we were searching for apartments. We found some apartments. Literally, one year later, 2005, we went to go look at those same apartments, mm -hmm. and they had been turned into condos. And a two-bedroom was going for 545000 in San Diego. Wow. Granite. It was an apartment complex the year before. Uh -huh. And that's when we realized, you know what, let's, let's, let's make a move somewhere else. So we made a move to Arizona. Raised, uh, started our family there, raised our family. And um, I didn't look like the typical student who I was teaching mm -hmm. in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And, but there were that small pocket of students who were able to relate to me because I looked and sounded like them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I, I can relate to students pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a people person. Most educators are people, people, peoples. <laughs> people, people, persons go with it. And yeah. And so I'm able to read people. I'm able to read the room. I can adjust on the fly and do things like that. So I know that, that, you know, what to say, when to say it and how to say it for any given audience. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed being looked up to by students who might not have the same opportunities, regardless of how they look or what have you race, uh, gender doesn't matter, but knowing that that I can be a positive person for them, somebody mm -hmm. that they can say, "Hey, you know what? Um, things aren't that bad. 
things right. aren't that bad. You know, we can all get through this. And what a, a more perfect time to talk about that than took the words like right pandemic, out of my mouth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, Gabriel. <laughs> so you're an ed tech specialist right now. Correct. So what was your journey there? I mean, did what grade level did, did you teach middle school? What was your I taught? Yeah, I taught um, fourth grade. I taught sixth grade. I taught seventh grade math. And then I taught fifth grade for quite some time. I was actually an assistant principal for two years, two mm -hmm. separate years, not consecutive at, at different campuses. And I quickly found out that administration was not for me mm -hmm. at the time. Maybe, you know, who knows, two or three years down the road, you know, I might, I might, I might chew on those words a little bit differently, but I quickly found out at that time where we were in our marriage with our kids that I realized, yeah, you know what? I'm spending a lot of time with other people's kids and not, yeah. not my own or my wife. Mm -hmm. So I quickly found out that wasn't for me. And I started, that's when I got into fifth grade and I got, I taught fifth grade for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And the educational technology specialist at the district that I was in, he would always throw things at me and I just shoot them up. Like, all right, let's do it. Oh, you, oh, you, you the district is looking at possible interactive whiteboards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll take one. You know, mm -hmm. he wanted mm -hmm. to do like a pilot program. Mm -hmm. Boom. I would, I would do anything he would throw at me. I would take and I would, I would run it through its courses. That's and awesome. then from that kind of built a relationship between him and I. And after about a year, a year and a half of doing stuff with him, I presented it to the board with him on a couple of different initiatives in that for pilot programs that, that him and I kind of got into. And about a year and a half later, uh, my door opened to my classroom in the middle of class. In walks him. His name is Nick Trachis. What's up, Nick? How you What's doing, up, man? Nick? <laughs> um, him. His director at the time, Nicole Steele, the hey, director Nicole. of the director of uh, public relations, <laughs> my wife, and oh. my principal, <laughs> all walk in at the same time to my classroom. I thought I'm either getting fired, or my wife is serving me with divorce papers. In front oh, of right yeah, now. she brought backup. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, lo and behold. I was being awarded the 2011 Arizona State Teacher of the Year for the Arizona Technology and Education Association. Wow. So I was awarded that. Uh, I, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for the district. The ed tech specialist, Nick, he was the one-person department. Mm -hmm. So there was literally one of him for nine campuses and two virtual campuses. Mm -hmm. The following year, that was, that was uh, I believe, at the end of January, beginning of February, when mm -hmm. I was awarded that. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, May, they opened up a second position. I applied for it and I got it. And that's how I got in. And I, I haven't looked back since. Not mm -hmm. to say that I don't want to be in the classroom, but I think I found what I really like to do. And mm -hmm. if I can make more of a positive impact on a broader, larger audience, mm -hmm. then I'm all for it. So that's I'm awesome. not looking back at that. So how many years total? Um, I've been an educational technology specialist for going on... Eight, eight, nine years, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I've how much? Taught, I've, oh, been in, how much? I've been in education since I graduated high school. When okay. I graduated high school, I became a paraprofessional. Okay. Did that through college. The Friday that I graduated college, the following Monday, I was a substitute teacher. So you've been in education your whole life? My whole life. 
your whole my life. entire life. <laughs> All I know is education. And yep. through college, I also detailed cars. I tutored. I used to DJ on my own. But all I know is You're creative education. at heart, it seems like. I mean, and you listen, I listen to your podcast. You can tell that you've got that creative spirit. That's fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. So it sounds like you've ridden a lot of highs. You're at a great place now. It sounds like, I don't want to make that judgment, but have you ever, you know, be at the Burned In Teacher podcast, we talk about burnout on here, right? Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a point in your career where you're like, I don't know, and maybe you did know, but you were just, you you were struggling. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have peaks and valleys all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely hit one of those valleys, I would say about uh, 2008, 2009-ish. That was when, you know, the the market started going down and, you know, homes started depreciating in value and our at the time in the district that I was in, you know, our insurance premiums kept going up and they kept saying, well, the good thing is we're not taking any pay cuts. Well, actually we are. We keep jacking up our insurance and, you know, me covering a family of four. It's quite a ding. It's quite a ding. So there, there's always that, you know, grading papers every night, uh, having two kids, not to say that I, you know, that I regret it having two kids with my wife and everything, but it's, they're, they could be draining. They could be very draining. Um, there's a lot of time and energy put into it. So I've definitely hit, um, I've definitely hit those valleys at times throughout my career. And there's times where I, I get into those lulls. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not immune like anyone else. We're not Im- immune to any of that. It's going to happen mm. at some point and at times at multiple points throughout your career. So it's definitely something that you are going to have to learn how to struggle through, to get through. And when you come out the other end, you need to remember what it is that got you out to the other end on the other side of that fence. That way, when it happens, you know what worked and what didn't. You know, like they say, fool me once, shame on me, on you, absolutely, I'm sorry. And <laughs> fool me twice, if you can get under my skin twice, shame on me. Yeah, yeah. So I know my symptoms when I start to hit around a burnout. And, and my listeners know that I still, to this day, I, I, everybody goes through rounds, like you just said. Um, even the burnout coach that goes through burnout, went through a severe round of burnout about this time last year. And I myself am not ashamed to say that at that point I was ashamed. I'm thinking, how could you be burned out? This is what you do. Um, but tell me, what are your, how can you tell when you are starting to ride that, that valley? Waking up in the middle of the night and the first thing that I think of is work or a project or something that I have to do. That's definitely a sign. When that becomes the last thing you think of before you go to bed and the first thing you think of when you wake up, that is a sign for me. Another thing that I notice as well is I can tune out of conversations because I'm not in the moment. I tend to, um, I'm trying to look for the, for the correct term, preoccupied. Mm-hmm. I'm preoccupied. There can be a lot of head nodding. Mm-hmm. There can be walking out of the meeting thinking, what did we even talk about? I don't mm-hmm. even recall. Or 
I think the, the telltale sign for me and possibly many, many people who are thinking about this as well is when you get home to your driveway and you remember or you cannot remember or recall how you got there. You and me, brother. Those are my symptoms too because I can be a workaholic. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all it, I... Mm -hmm. It, it definitely shows that you're passionate about things and you want to be there to help, especially in the positions that you and I are in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to stop and think about the people who are around you mm -hmm. and yourself mm -hmm. and yourself. It could, because if you can't be your best you mm -hmm. for the people in your household or your friends, or your family, your loved ones, mm -hmm. then it's like an energy. You're going to mm -hmm. give it out and that's all you're going to get back. So true. So true. I mean, I feel like you and, I, if Jeff was in here right now, my husband, who is a principal, by the way, he would be like, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do? You just get wrapped up in it, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. so, what are, so what are your strategies? Um, I, I'm big on lists. Mm. I like things. I'm, you know, I like SMART goals. For those of you who don't know what a SMART goal is, you know, it's an acronym. Google it. Um, mm. Or if you're a Microsoft Edge user, Bing it. Um, <laughs> But I like making attainable, small attainable things that I could check off of a list. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm working on a project, I like to scaffold that project into little mini bullet points that I can mm -hmm. get through. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I, I rely on a lot is, you know, I will disconnect. I like mowing the lawn. I like detailing the cars in the driveway. Mm -hmm. You know, my, I used to, I tell my kids stories and I think I, I mentioned this a little bit, a little bit ago, I used to detail cars, you know? Yeah, you did. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it, there's something about doing a little bit of physical labor that really, really just puts you in the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, when you're dealing with the 3000 PSI pressure washer, you don't have time <laughs> to forget what you're doing and accidentally put the nozzle on wrong and you've just created a projectile that's going to shoot into the neighbor's yard mm -hmm. or blast your hand off. Mm -hmm. So I like doing things like that. You know, I like cutting the grass. I'll throw on my headphones, listen to some podcasts. And I, I listen to a lot of uh, comedy. My, I, I'm blessed enough to be a youngest of five. My Next, the next youngest brother down the list, mm -hmm. him and I are nine years apart. So I kind of grew up as an only child in mm -hmm. that sense. But because of that, I grew up with their music. I grew up with the things that they enjoyed. And one of the things that my family was into was comedy, mm. you know, comedy so albums great. and things yeah. like that. So I, if I'm not going to watch or listen to anything else, I will stream comedy albums on Netflix, on my Spotify, on anything I can, because that stuff just, it just takes me out. Yeah. It takes me out of whatever I'm doing. So that's my I husband like, too. He loves oh, really? to listen to comedy podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yep. you know, when I was in fifth, sixth grade, I used to talk about, you know, George Carlin and people mm -hmm. like that. And, the, and you know, Mm -hmm. a 12-year-old, they don't know who any of these people are. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, did you watch Cheers last night? They're like, Cheers? <laughs> what is that? You know, and I, that's just the stuff I grew up on because yeah. that's, you know, the, my older brothers, they put me onto that stuff. So yeah, I, I do a lot of that. I, I enjoy doing things with my wife and my kids. That's We're good. on a big Pokemon thing right now. I mean, we go out and we Pokemon hunt like crazy. That's great. That's a great outlet for right now, right? Yeah, especially you're out for and about, them. but you're safe. I mean, yeah. If we think that we're stressed, mm -hmm. I can't imagine being 14 years old yeah. in a global pandemic. Yeah. I can't, you know, just 
realizing who you are and who you're becoming and your feelings, your emotions, you're going through puberty. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you like the same sex, the opposite sex. You're going through a lot and then top it off, you're in a global pandemic. Um, if you have health issues like asthma, then there's that compiled on top of it. There's mm-hmm. anxiety, stress. It's just yeah. people need to find something, something yeah. positive. So yeah, uh, if you want your car washed, your, your lawn mowed, <laughs> look for I'm me the on same a stressed way. out day and I'll take I love to day. sweat it out. I mean, that's why I get up every morning and work out. If I don't, I mean, that just is a way to get me going and, and sweat out the stress, right? Sweat out the poison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I asked you before, you know, one reason that I really wanted you to come on too was because you are an ed tech specialist. You are seeing this every day. You're, you're with teachers. And one thing that I've seen come up over and over again as stressors in my community, it, it, one of two things is the lack of student engagement with uh, the virtual students, students who are learning from home, or if teachers are in fact teaching fully remote. Um, Do you have any strategies that you have seen work really well with your teachers? Um, I have, and there's a couple of teachers that I'm working with, and one of the, the, I'm going to give you a tool if that's okay. Perfect. So my two best friends right now are Nearpod Mm -hmm. and Flipgrid. Yeah. Those are, I'm actually wearing my student voice Flipgrid shirt as we speak. So those are my two best friends right now. Those are the two that I'm promoting. And those are the two that I'm doing a lot of support with, with my teachers right now. And here's why. Nearpod can take whatever content you are trying to teach and make it interactive. I can throw it on student devices. I can do it live where I'm controlling the presentation. And then I can do it in a student paced mode where it becomes homework or asynchronous Mm -hmm. you know if there's if there's two words that we should cancel into 2020 it's asynchronous and synchronous we've i mean (laughs) those are burned out um (laughs) no pun intended right Um, but those those are the two tools that i think teachers can really maximize student learning and engagement with Mm -hmm. and take a little bit off the plate when it comes to grading Mm. For example, in Nearpod, I can create a self-grading quiz mm-hmm. and it does the grading for me. It tells me when the student logged in, it gives me their, their data. I now have created a formative assessment and I can now take anecdotal notes based on that lesson. Mm-hmm. In Flipgrid, I can hear what the students are processing. I can see what they're going through. I could see where they're making the mistakes. If I'm a math teacher, Flipgrid has a very easy to use whiteboard where the students can annotate on their screen. Mm. So if I'm teaching, let's say, slope, rise over run, I can give the students a problem and they will work it out on Flipgrid. And as they're working it out, they are telling me Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm now listening to their thinking and their processing. Mm -hmm. And that's a component that's really missing right now from formative assessments. Formative assessments tend to be a a couple questions, but I'm not Mm -hmm. concerned with the answer. I want to know the process. Mm -hmm. Can you explain your thinking, your process to me? I can care less that the answer is for. You can Google that. You can ask Alexa. You can ask Google. You can ask Siri. They're going to give you the answer. I want to know the process that you went through. So those are the two tools that I would definitely recommend to any teacher. And if you have any questions on how to use them, best practices, examples, please reach out to me. I can definitely help you out. And the other thing that I will definitely tell 
all educators right now and from here on out is less is more. Mm. That was going to be my question because what I can hear my teacher saying is, so I've got to put together this presentation. I've got to connect it to Nearpod. I have to go through every single one of these, these answers. Is that something that they should do every day? Not necessarily. Okay. You don't have to do that every day. You could, you could teach one day mm -hmm. and just have them soak it all in. Mm -hmm. You can have them reflect on it on a Flipgrid video the next day, and mm -hmm. that can be their assignment, a 30-second recording on what they remember, what they mm -hmm. recall, what they're still confused about mm -hmm. in a low-stress environment where the videos are not uh, accessible by mm -hmm. anyone else other than the teacher. Right. And now you have notes and you can go back and forth with the student. You can, you know, you can obviously um, chat with them and do uh, some one-on-one -on -one tutoring with them. But mm -hmm. when I say less is more, I mean, I am, I hate to say this, but I am sick and tired of seeing homework that is 25 questions. Yes, amen. Why are you giving students that much homework and you're to giving me, yourself that much work right yeah yeah if don't give anything out as homework that you're not ready to grade and turn around on the spot for every single one of mm -hmm. your students with appropriate and timely feedback mm -hmm. so if i have a student and they can't do the first two or three why in the heck am i going to kill them with another 22 mm -hmm. Here, two things are going to happen or one of two things number one they're going to do everything wrong and then you're going to have to turn around and reteach. Mm -hmm. Or number two, they will have learned how to do it incorrectly, and it is now ingrained in them. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing more difficult as an educator than to try to unteach someone how to do something and have them do it, teach it, and for them to learn it again a second time. Right. Number one, that's a whole nother day's work. And number two, try try to have a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, or 10-year-old, or 8-year-old try to unlearn something. Right. A lot of people will say that practice makes perfect, and I disagree with that 1,000%. Perfect practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. Practice makes permanent. If I practice something, if I practice dribbling a basketball incorrectly for half a season, that's it. It's going to take me two, three times as long to unlearn it and relearn how to do it correctly. So, mm. Homework, if you can crop it down to one or two questions, or better yet, give them uh, the solution. And I'm going to keep using math as an example, because if, this, if there's a subject in which you can do this with quickly, like tomorrow, you could do it with math. Don't ask your students to solve two or three questions or equations or inequalities. Give them an example that is solved incorrectly and have them explain on Flipgrid where the... the uh, where they went wrong and how to fix it mm -hmm. or have them pinpoint it or have them circle it. Things like that require a lot more brain work and require a lot more processing and really understanding and knowledge of the content than solving 15 equations. Love it. I remember doing that with my third graders and it was the most engaging because they wanted to find somebody else's incorrect process rather than always, you know, criticizing their own incorrect answers they were and this was somebody random it wasn't somebody from the other student but even my first graders like we would 
you know, learning how to pick apart a sentence that somebody else wrote incorrectly, you know, as a class, they just really enjoy finding those mistakes. Um, it's almost fun for them on a, on a certain level. Yeah. Give them the red pen. Right. I have another question too, um, that concerns student engagement. So what happens, what is your take on when a student doesn't show? Because I have a lot of, a lot of teachers who are really feeling they're wearing that, that their student isn't showing up. And, you know, some administrators are putting a lot of pressure on the teachers to make sure the, t- the students show up. But how do you feel about, like, what do you see in your school and what do you see teachers doing that's working and not working when a student just simply doesn't show? Well, a lot of times the student's not showing for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. That reason could be personal. You never want to assume that they're not showing because they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially in some of the schools, you know, the schools that I service, especially the high school, when this pandemic first started, these kids were not showing up because they had to pick up a job to mm-hmm. help their parents out because their, you know, their dad got furloughed or something. So these kids had to pick up a job. So they were not showing for that reason. And I don't know call it what you want, but I think that's a pretty darn good reason not to show up to class. You know, you got to take care of that family. And the other reason is maybe you gave them a reason not to show up. Mm. You know, I, I don't like when teachers call out students in front of their peers in a public setting, like a classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, take me out. If if I'm mouthing off in your class, wait till after class or pull me to the hallway when, when there's some independent practice going on or something, or, uh, you know, pull me aside in the hallway during passing period. That's going to have a much more effect. Uh, I, I'm sorry, a much more positive effect on me than calling me out in front of my peers. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, calling me out in front of my peers in a Zoom room. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of teachers and, and some districts, some teachers, some schools are requiring for the cameras to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you can't call students out for not turning their cameras on, especially if you know them, because sometimes they don't want to show what's in the background. They don't want to show that they share a bedroom with three or four other siblings, you know. So you at times you cannot take it personal. Mm-hmm. You have to do a little bit of digging and and just you know continue doing things that will make them want to come to the classroom. Call them out for something positive Mm -hmm. you know um, maybe have them present something maybe have them talk about something that you know that they're good at that way they they relate that zoom call to a positive experience Mm -hmm. and maybe they won't turn on their camera for a week and a half but they'll be there Mm -hmm. and who knows in a week and a half two weeks maybe they'll turn it on but if you do that if you live by the motto of less is more, give them digestible pieces that they can chew. It's like, you know, it's like serving your kids dinner. If you approach them with this huge plate, absolutely full of Brussels sprouts and kale and mm-hmm. other things that they might not like, or they, it's kind of difficult to digest, mm-hmm. it, it's visually, it's not appealing to them. They're right. already freaked out like, I can't leave the dinner table unless I finish this. This is a lot for me to take in. If you serve them just a little bit, just enough, mm. they're, you know, you eat with your eyes first. Right. And a lot or of times it's too that. You can sneak that spinach into a smoothie. Oh, what? <laughs> now you're talking my language there. 
Right? Brittany is a food analogy. Now's the time, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. So So, I hope I I answered your question. Yeah, you really did. I think it's, you know, it's simple and challenging at the same time because it really does come back to the stories that we're telling ourselves. And when we have these unconscious biases about what we think they're doing or why we think they're not doing something, that's not only unfair to the student, that's unfair to us because then we're putting undue pressure on ourselves. Yeah. You know, number one, to feel guilty that, you know, I, that they're not there, but then also, you know, being almost like holding it against them that they're not there. And I'm not saying that some students aren't just not showing up because they just don't feel like it, but that comes back then to the relationships too that you have and realizing you can really only control so much. You really can. Yeah, you really can. I mean, that's something that you should not lose sleep over. mm -hmm, No. mm -hmm. Yeah. So Gabriel, I have another question for you. Go for it. When you talk to your teachers that you're working with. How many teachers do you work with, do you think, on a daily, weekly basis, give or take? Um, I work anywhere between about, I don't know, 10 to 20 teachers a week mm-hmm. at my various campuses. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? Uh, some, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I, I don't have a lot of teachers right now that are like, I'm loving this. I could do this, you know, for the rest of my career. You know, mm-hmm. there, there are some that are just, you know, their straw above the water is the only thing that's keeping them out in, in mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. There are some who are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning, but things are getting a little bit better. And there are some who are just living period by period. Mm-hmm. They are just, they're, they're, they're struggling. And that's where I come in to, to help with co-teaching and co-planning and I met with a teacher today, ironically, about Nearpod. We did a Nearpod lesson last week. We did a little recap today. How, how did things go? Was it, how was it for you? How do you think the students perceived it? How did they do on their little quiz you gave them? And what would you do differently? And she was really intrigued and wanted to do a little bit more. So we're doing some more planning sessions in that. But that's what teachers need right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not looked at as... Well, actually, I'm going to go back a little bit. I am in no way an administrator, Mm -hmm. nor am I an evaluator. And I think that's what sets my role apart from others. When, let's say, a specialist or a curriculum specialist walks into a classroom, a lot of times they're perceived as administration. They're Mm -hmm. here to judge me. They're here to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want a teacher to think that of me. I, Mm -hmm. I am there for them. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to support you. Yeah. So when you're working with these, these teachers that you say, you know, have that straw that's keeping them afloat, what do you think is one simple shift that they can make? I know you say, you know, keep it simple. I say it too. Keep it mm. so simple, but that's very relative. And some teachers tell themselves a story that if I keep it simple, that means I'm a bad teacher because good teachers are working all the time and always giving of everything that they have. What is one simple shift, one thing that they could either put on their to-do list or take off of that to-do list that could make a huge difference in a day or two or even tomorrow? I would definitely say to put on your list to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid to ask for help. As mm-hmm. educators, a lot, we, you know, some of us carry a lot of pride with us and we, we don't want to ask for help because we don't want to make it seem like we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And by putting that on your list, 
whoever you get to help you can help you take things off of your list. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say, you know, there's power in numbers and the smart, the smartest person in the room is the room itself. Mm. So when you ask for help, you don't know how much people could contribute to what you're doing, to your cause, to your lessons, to this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, don't be afraid to join, join a couple of different PLNs and add to your PLN. There are mm -hmm. Facebook groups for, for anything and everything you can imagine on this planet. There are Twitter chats going on every night, multiple times a night for different um, subject areas, different grade levels, administration, you name it. Mm -hmm. there, there's different ways. There's podcasts. Get lost in a couple of educational podcasts like the Burned In Teacher or the EdTech Bites podcast on your way to and from work or while you work out or on your jog or on your walk. Right. Best yeah. advice ever. You yeah. know what I call teachers who say, you know, that they don't want to ask for help, that they can do it all themselves. Mm -hmm. I call that the, uh, uh, the agent of same named superhero, Sam. Oh, because I think, you know, sometimes teachers are, are told by their administrators or authors or speakers, whatever you are superheroes. You are mm -hmm. a superhero. No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. I don't believe you are. I think you're a human being that has limits, right? Even even Batman had Robin. Right? <laughs> even Batman had Robin. So, so true. Yeah. Well, Gabriel, tell everybody how they can find you and learn more about you and, and your podcast. Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at EdTechBytes, and that's B-I-T-E-S. Mm -hmm. You can find the podcast on any of the podcast platforms out there, your favorite podcast app whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. Uh, and if you, all you got to do is search EdTechBytes. You can follow the website slash blog at edtechbytes.com. And I'm happy to connect with you. I'm happy to, to give you the ins and outs of some of the tools that, and pedagogy and different strategies that I can help you with. And uh, I'm always down to, to share some recipes as well because I, I love to cook. That's it's one thing so I love great. to do. It's so great. I was listening to your keynote, to your 2020, oh, 2021 keynote. Oh, my beginning of the year keynote. Yeah, that chicken salad, dude. That chicken salad was ridiculous. It sounded ridiculous. So and for I those of you who some... didn't tune in, that episode, I don't remember the number <laughs> off the top of my head. I believe it was number 72, but it's Hatch Green, hatch green Chili Chicken Salad. I, I stumbled across a Hatch Green Chili ch roasted chicken. Uh, just tore it to pieces, made a chicken salad out of it with some crackers. Oh, it was, so it was delicious, delicious. Yeah. And I do that. I did that keynote this year. I did another one last year with spaghetti carbonara. If you're not mm. sure what carbonara is. And I, every year I'll be doing another, another beginning of the year keynote. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful to be part of the EPN with you. You're just very knowledgeable, very helpful. I can tell you have a good heart for teachers and, and kids. Thank you. Likewise. I appreciate what you're doing and changing that burned out to burned in. Mm -hmm. Well, we got to talk yeah. about it if we're going to change it, right? So yeah, I appreciate you being right. here with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can head over to burnedinteacher.com where you can access the entire vault of Burned In Teacher podcast episodes and more information about ways I want to help you go from burned out teacher to burned in human. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating about the burned in teacher podcast. Until next time, take a deep breath. 
because you just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on.